you pray for me? Because I tell you, I need your prayer. And know that we are praying for you. Whether you have the opportunity to be the church gathered this morning, or whether you are the church scattered, and you're watching this morning via our live stream. Beloved, this, 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 this ain't a game. This is not a joke. We genuinely need one another to survive. And we're going to have to be creative in the way that we reach out. But we got to reach out, y'all. We have to make sure that other people besides ourselves know that we love them and that they're cared for, that we're thinking about them, and we're interceding on their behalf to God that the Lord may strengthen, keep, and encourage. You pray for me, and I will pray for you. Amen. Fitting selection. Thank you to our praise team this morning. And indeed, I just want to say good morning and welcome to each one of you again here in the church gathered and to all of those who are part of the church scattered who are watching via our live stream grateful to have you with us this morning in this worship service of the church gathered at Forest Baptist and as we dig into the text I just got a few uh, announcements a few reminders for us to, to to help us to stay connected to be mindful of what's going on and to keep everyone up to date and uh Namely, we will soon have the privilege and opportunity to uh, move into phase two of our reopening plan for the church. And in that phase two, we will be allowing a few more ministries to begin utilizing the facilities here and uh, doing ministry uh, out of the church. Uh, and as such, as we are uh, expanding our services uh, we need additional people to specifically help in the cleaning and disinfecting of the church. So just as you did before, for those who are already a part of that team and who are helping, uh, we are so thankful to you. Uh, thank you for your diligence and your faithfulness. Uh, but again, because we are expanding our services, we need a few more people to help with the disinfecting and cleaning is pretty simple. Uh, depending on the area, depending on the ministry, you will be directed just to help us wipe down some doorknobs to clean off some chairs and do some tables. And it's, it's done in the safety of just a few people being at the church at a time. So again, because we're moving into phase two, please go on the website and, uh, and check our volunteer form. It should be under the the COVID-19 link on our website. So please go there and uh, sign up to help with that. Also, one of the other, other opportunities that we have been having uh, each week is the opportunity to hear from you, to hear what God is doing through the giving of testimonies. Uh, last week, uh, Brother Nancy came up here and he preached, and he gave us a good word on how the Lord was moving in his heart. But uh, we want to continue to hear from you. And uh, in order to expand that opportunity, we are actually looking not only for those who are 
coming in person to worship, but, but you at home, if you are interested in giving a, a recorded, a pre-recorded testimony, please reach out to Brother Alex or uh, Sister Francis here at the church and let us know that you are interested. And what we're going to do is schedule a time where we can meet on Zoom and we're going to do the exact same kind of interview questions, but we're going to record it, and then we're going to play it on Sunday morning. So this gives you at home an opportunity to be a part of what's going on in this in-person gathering. So again, uh, if you want to share your testimony, please reach out to the church. Uh, September 13th is our next congregation-wide communion. So again, from Saturday to Saturday, I believe that is September 5th through September 12th, we will be on the premises from 11 to 1 p.m. in order for you to pick up the elements as you did before. Uh, but this time, uh, trying to be sensitive to people's work schedules, we added an extra day. And that Wednesday, uh, I believe that's September 9th, there will be an additional time from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. where you can come and pick up the elements. Uh, so, so again, that's for pickup. But if you're not able to get out the house at all, uh, call, call your deacon, and we, are, we will be able to make some deliveries to you. But again, September 13th will be our next congregation-wide communion. And then, beloved, it's, it's, it's come so, so quickly. Uh, but did you know September 27th, we'll be celebrating our 153rd church anniversary, our, our, our sesquicentennial plus three anniversary. And, uh, you know, because of, of COVID, it's not going to be the, the big thing that we normally do, but we do want to always pause and give God thanks on those special occasions. And as such, we want to continue to give you the opportunity to, uh, each year we have a, uh, we, we uh, open up nominations for our Servant Leader Award. So this year on our website, there's going to be, again, another form where you can fill out. And those who the Lord brings to your mind, those individuals that represent servant leadership, uh, it, we're going to allow you to, to, to nominate them for this year's award. And truly, beloved, we have so many servant leaders here, so many individuals who live in, in a sacrificial way, who give of their time and give, just give in so many ways where they're, uh, they're leading through their service. So we just want to pause and recognize those individuals. So that nomination form will be on the website as well. Amen. So those are pretty much our announcements for the day. And now let me get into what we all have come here for, and that is for the word of God. Amen. And uh, if I'm just going to be 100 with you transparent, this week has been a very hard week for me, and I believe it's, it may have been a, a pretty rough week for you as well, uh, as uh, the events have once again unfolded of the uh, murder of an individual at the hands of law enforcement, uh, vigilantes uh, coming in and, and causing even more issues, it, so uh, shootings here in Louisville, there, uh, the pandemic and and some folks act like there ain't no pandemic anymore, but it's like we're in the middle. Of, it's like so much is going on. The fact that we can't be with one another uh, intimately and personally, the weight of that is so many things going on. 
So with that, as we was going through the gospel basics, the Lord reminded me once again how important the gospel is in times like this. So even in the midst of these tragic and traumatizing events and the heaviness that they bring, we, we need to be in prayer for the Blake family, for the Rosenbaum family, the, the uh, young man who lost his life uh, there in uh, Wisconsin as well, the Huber family. And others who are just involved in, in, the, in the chaos. We need to be in prayer for the loss of life there. there someone's son, someone's friend, someone's father, someone's nephew. Some, they, they, these are real lives. These aren't just statistics and numbers. Like the talking heads just kind of throw. These are real people. And because these are each image bearers, we also need to pray for the Rittenhouse family. Because of a white supremacist ideology that has uh, infected uh, many individuals to uh, and caused people to mobilize in areas where they haven't been called to mobilize that uh, even more problems are coming uh, are being caused and and lives are being lost and people will be imprisoned we need to pray for law enforcement across this nation for the individual police officers as they are in the line of duty. Uh, but we also need to pray for uh, renewal, reform, that the Lord would bring a type of policing that is just for all and not just for some. We're praying for all of those things. So uh, as we think about those events, these events are a continued call to action for disciples of Jesus. So we don't just sit back and, 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 and say, well, there's nothing we can do because there is something we can do. And the first thing that we need to be doing is we need to pray. The power of prayer, the, the power of calling God down, the, the creator and sustainer of all things to intervene in the midst and to, and, and to, and to use his mighty hand to bring some type of transformation. As the church, we pray. As the black church, beloved, and, uh, uh, if anyone should know, we should know. A uh, people who had no legal defense, a uh, 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 people who had no legal recourse, and all we could do was pray. We we should be the very ones praying when we see injustice, because we know prayer changes things. Now, 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 we we might be the type of individual that that don't believe that prayer is changing things fast enough, but you got to remember who's in charge and, God, and that God knows what he's doing. So I encourage you to pray. Gather with us in prayer. We pray every Friday at 11 a.m. And I know some of you at work, we have a lot of teachers, nurses, but those who are able, we pray every Friday at 11 a.m. And we will be praying this Friday at 11 a.m. via Zoom. You can get that link off our website. But these call to actions include being Christian. Beloved, if the Christians would just be Christian, how much less division and 
divisive rhetoric would be spewed into this society. If Christians would just be Christian and manifest the fruits of the Spirit, if, 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 if being Christian means I am genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit, then I should be manifesting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what self-control means? Self-control means that I want to say what I want to say on Facebook, and I want to say what I want to say on Twitter, but the Holy Spirit is actually going to restrain my fingers, not even my lips. My, it's going to restrain me in the sense that I ain't going to cause even more confusion. We just need to be Christian, but we also need to be engaged. We need to be intentional. Every single person at, uh, under the sound of my voice has some type of sphere of influence. You have influence over somebody, and God wants you to use your influence to be a light in a dark and dimly lit place. We need to be engaged. We can't, we can't have our hands off. As a church, we have to be engaged. Some of that may include uh, registering to vote. You need to be registered to vote. If, if there's anyone in your sphere of influence that is not registered to vote, and they can register to vote, I understand there's some people who just can't, but if they can, help them to register to vote. You can register the deadline to register for this election is October 5th. You can go to govoteky.gov to register to vote. You, at the same place, you can go and request an absentee ballot. You would need to do that by October 9th. As a Christian, a, a lot of times we step into places that no one else want to step into. So, so maybe, maybe, some of us, maybe some of us need to become poll workers to make sure there are enough sites for people to Whatever it takes, we need to be involved as the church. And beloved, in, in cultural moments like this, we, we come face to face with evil unveiled. Satanic influence on full display before our eyes. We are in spiritual warfare. And in cultural moments like this, we must be diligent and vigilant. We have to maintain and we have to be watchful. We have to be diligent because there are forces at work that seek to further uh, oppress and marginalize and seek to be divisive. And we know from Scripture, any, anything that sows confusion is from Satan himself because God is not the author of confusion, somebody. He is not the author of chaos, but Satan is. So this is Satan, this is satanic and demonic, what's going on. But we stay diligent and vigilant because we can be so outraged and appalled, and rightly so, at the evil that's going on out there and the sin that's going on out there that we begin to overlook and excuse the evil and sin that's in here, that's in our own hearts. One of the problems that we are facing is in this day and age, everyone wants to be the talking head to point the finger at somebody else, but don't nobody want to point the finger at themselves. It's in times like these, 
Christians must be firmly and deeply rooted in the gospel in order to stay sane. We need the gospel in order to be encouraged. We need the gospel in order to have some form of direction in a time where it just seems like there is no direction. There is no leadership. This is the very reason we are in this series, The Gospel Basics. It's to help us guard against the satanic distractions and to keep our eyes on Jesus We need to hold fast to the basics of the gospel so we can stand in the midst of the storm. We hold fast to the good news that life with God under the rule of God is available to all who would turn from their rebellion and trust in King Jesus. We hold fast to the good news that through faith in Jesus and his perfect life, death for our sins, and victorious resurrection from the dead, we are justified and reconciled to God. We hold fast to the good news of God's wonderful acceptance of us, not because we have earned it or deserve it, but because he gives it freely at Christ's expense. We hold fast to the gospel. And we're going to hold fast to the gospel this morning. Why don't you meet me in Romans, the third chapter, if you would. Romans, the third chapter, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 20 this morning. Romans, the third chapter, verses 9 through 20. And if you are able, whether you are gathered or scattered, please stand with us in honor of the reading of God's word. Romans, the third chapter, verses 9 through 20. This is the word. Of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before them. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just want to place a tag on this morning's text as we continue in our series of gospel basics. No excuses. No excuses. Let us pray. Gracious and eternal, mighty and majestic God, we bless your holy and righteous name for you are worthy of our praise. You are good. You are preeminent. 
And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just come asking that you would forgive us for our sins. Please forgive us for how we have sinned against you and how we have sinned against one another, how we have, have uh, blemished the light that you have placed within those who trust in you. Father, please forgive us for trying to do things our own way in our own strength. But Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the forgiveness and redemption that comes through his blood. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which indwells those who love you, providing direction and guidance and power from on high. And right now, oh God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather once again to dig into your word, to hear from you. We thank you, O oh Lord, how you have brought us to another Lord's day. You did not owe us anything. You don't owe us the next breath that we take, but by your sheer mercy and grace, you give freely to us, Lord, your love. And we say thank you. Now, kind Father, I ask that you would be in this place. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I ask that you would take my, my weak and foolish words and use them for your glory, that, that Jesus Christ would be put on display. And someone would come running to you for the pardon of their sins. Please bless us this day, whether we're here gathered or online scattered. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, talking about the government, one of the things that I'm sure you have an opinion on is, is jury duty. And um, by a show of hands, who really likes jury duty? I didn't think so. Not many people like jury duty. Uh, but on, on, on a quick side note, though, however, uh, when it comes to jury duty, uh, those uh, black and brown people need to make sure we show up for jury duty. Because if we don't show up for jury duty, uh, people who look like us will be judged by a perspective that doesn't come from us. We need to show up not only at the poll, but we need to show up for jury duty. And I experienced that firsthand back in Michigan where I was selected for jury duty for a murder trial. And it wasn't just an attempted murder trial. And it wasn't just an ordinary attempted murder trial. It was an attempted murder of a, of a, a police officer in Detroit. And as we were going through all of the, uh, the testimony and the evidence and the, and the witnesses, uh, they were coming forth. And, and the prosecutor was attempting to lay out this case to say that the defendant was the one who shot at the police officer and attempted to harm the police officer. But however, through all of the, all of the evidence the prosecutor laid out, there was not any eyewitness testimony to say that this particular person actually fired the weapon. As a matter of fact, nobody knew what happened. It was dark. It were multiple people in the house, and no one really knew. As a matter of fact, this particular person was actually caught uh, trying to jump out the back window. So, so no one was able to identify the shooter in particularly. But yet the prosecutor had built an entire case around convicting this defendant of attempted murder of a police officer. 
And as the evidence came and as the days went by, it wasn't a, a, a very long case, but when it was time for us to go and to deliberate, we began to examine the evidence. One, there was no fingerprints on the weapon. There was no eyewitness testimony. There, there was nothing that linked the specific person. They, 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 they could very well have, but there was nothing in the court of law that actually connected this person to the crime. So we had to render a verdict of not guilty because we could not connect this person to the crime. We were not convinced of their guilt. What, 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 what really happened was the prosecutor in all his conversation, he actually failed to connect the defendant to the crime. So we had to render a verdict of not guilty. But beloved, as we look through the, the text of Scripture and we go through the 66 books, Unlike that court case that I was on, the Bible is clear and the Bible is, uh, is, is, is solid and is convicting of the defendant. Us being the defendant and the Bible saying that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Beloved, basically what Paul has done in this text for us this morning is he's been laying out this prosecutorial case to say that no matter who you are, you are guilty of sin. You are guilty of being disobedient some way, whether in action or in attitudes to God's holy and righteous law. And, and what Paul is saying, there is no person who is without sin. That's what he's saying, that there is no person born who can say they've been uh, uh, blameless, they've been faultless. I don't know about you, but sometimes we act like we ain't sin, and we act like that we could never sin. But the Bible tells a different truth, and that we have all sin. We are all guilty. In chapter 1, Paul lays out the case that every single Gentile is guilty of sin. Even though they may not have a law, their conscience is a law unto themselves. And when they go against their conscience, they are even, even committing sin. Even though they, they aren't familiar with the law of God, we do this. Before we say those words, we hear the voice in our head. You know you're not supposed to say that. Don't say that. Don't go there but we do it anyway. We are sinning even against our own conscience, even if we think it's not a sinful indictment. In chapter 1, he says all Gentiles are accountable to God because of their sin, but in chapter 2, he also says that all Jews are accountable to God for their sin. Uh, the, the Jews believed somehow that because they were children of Abraham, it really didn't matter what they did, but, but they were free from the penalty of sin. And what Paul is saying, just because you grew up in a Christian home, just because you grew up in a church, just because you was on the usher board, just because you was a trustee or a deacon, just because your name was on the roll does not mean that you are not guilty of sin. As a matter of fact, he says, uh, the reason you are so guilty is because you should have known better. You got God's law. He's laying out this universal truth that all have sinned and are guilty before God. When it comes to being held accountable, uh, accountable for sin before God, none are with excuse. You can't make 
an excuse. You can't say, well, I didn't know. You can't say, well, uh, I, was, I was sleepy. Or you can't say, well, I, I, I didn't have anything to eat, so I was kind of cranky. I was hangry. You, you can't say, well, the, the devil made me do it. And we can't say, you know, it's because they just get on my last nerve. We, we can't say these things as an excuse for our sin. Because the reason that sin is out here is because sin is really in here. Jesus says himself, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If your speech is abrasive, if your speech is bitter, if your speech is foul, if, if your speech is not edifying, if, if, if your speech is destructive, it's not just because your tongue had, had the idea of just, just saying something. It's because it's in your heart. And our gospel truth for today, our big idea is because all have sinned against God, all are accountable to God. This is the basic gospel truth. Because sin has entered into creation, God is going to deal with sin. And we touched on that last time I was before you in that the consequences of sin is God's wrath. We're, we're not running from Satan. We're not running from just the consequences of sin. But we, we stand before God and it's going to be his wrath poured out. But sometimes we don't think that wrath is going to come by our house. We think somehow we got to get out of trouble, a get out of jail free card for some reason, like, like, like our sin don't, don't smell bad to God. Beloved, I'm here this morning to remind us the gospel says we all have sin, and it's not just out there. It starts because sin is in our hearts. In the book, What is the Gospel? It says, we think of sin as not much more than a parking infraction, as if sin is only made up for our mistakes. You know, when you, when you say something or do something you shouldn't have, and instead of uh, uh, taking responsibility, instead of owning it, we do things that say, my bad, oops, my mistake. What God is in heaven saying, it's not a mistake. Your sin is cosmic treason. It is rebellion. Because, and he goes on to say in this book, what is the gospel? Sin is a rejection of God himself. A repudiation of God's rule, God's care, God's authority, and God's right command to those whom he gave life. It is sin, 1 John 3 and 4, reveals to us everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice, practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. A failure to obey God and his commands. The point is, you are guilty. I am guilty of lawlessness. And we, this is why we need the gospel and the truth that comes from it 
to have a healthy understanding of what God has done and is doing for his glory and namesake. I just want to quickly go through three truths in the text before us this morning. Three truths. The first, all, our, all are accountable to God because all are under sin. All are accountable to God because all are, are under sin. Then secondly, all are, are accountable to God because all are guilty. But then thirdly, because all are accountable to God, all need Jesus. Let's start with this first one. All are accountable to God because all are under sin. Paul brings this out in, in verse 9 when he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No. He, he's saying, are we better off than the Gentiles? Because we, we, we see the Gentiles are guilty of sin. Are we better off? He says, no, we're not better off. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. From verse 9, we, we get this idea of the scope of sin. What Paul is saying, and laying out the fact that all Gentiles and Jews are under sin, he has, there's only two categories for people, uh, uh, people groups in the Bible, uh, and, and it, it is Jew and Gentile. Either you were part of the people of God as a Jew, you kept all the, uh, the, the, the ceremonies, you were part of that covenant, you were circumcised, you, 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 you were part of the tribes, either you were a Jew or you were a Gentile. You were one of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and, and the Girgashites, or, or even, even in Jesus' time, you were the Romans. There's only two categories of people in this day, and, and, and Paul is saying both categories of people are guilty. The scope of sin touches everybody. Beloved, in our day, there, uh, there's no uh, uh, a racial uh, hierarchy that, 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 that says there is, there is one race. Uh, uh, this is the Bible that lays out. There's not a race or ethnicity that, that is free from sin. There's no people group. There's no social economic status that says that you are without sin. Now, we know in this world that those with social economic resources may have a bit of untouchability. I don't know if I made that word up or not. Untouchability to justice and the law. But however, praise God that, that he has the final say and he is going to bring forth justice to, to everybody, no matter the economic status, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the gender or whatever, we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This means me. This means you. So Paul, he just lays out the scope of sin, but then immediately after laying out the scope of sin, this is what, this is the key I want to focus on, but then he begins to talk about the supremacy of sin. And, it, and, and he talks about the supremacy of sin by just simply saying that all are, all are under sin. Paul says all are under sin. He's saying that all are under the power of sin. To be under sin is more than the committal of sin. It's more than just the things you do. 
but being understand is the fact that we have been infiltrated by the essence and rule of sin. This is what it means to have a sin nature, where sinner is more of a state of being under sin. So, so we're, we're, we're not sinners just because we do sinful things. We are born in sin, and, and that makes us sinners. Because this is our sin nature. This is what David is talking about in Psalm 51 and 5. In sin did my mother conceive me. He is saying, not, not, not she was in a sinful relationship. He's saying, from the beginning of, of, of me, I have been in sin. We don't want to believe that. But it's this very sin nature, being under sin, which enslaves us to sin, which is why we have such a hard time letting go of sin, which is why we just love our sin so much because that sin nature from birth enslaves. I mean, actually, the Bible says sin is our master. Turn with me quickly over a couple chapters to Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans, the sixth chapter, uh, I'm going to start with verse 15. Romans 6 and 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Come down with me to verse 20. For when you were slaves to sin... See, Paul is talking about a, 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 a status. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. He's saying, when you was a slave to sin, you had no righteousness in you. You had no righteousness. 21, but what fruit, what, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? He's saying, but because Jesus has brought you into light and he has saved you and given you a righteousness, those very things that you were doing when you were a slave to sin, now you're ashamed. You're not proud of it. You was proud of it then, but because God has, has given you a new mind, now, now you're ashamed. For the end of those things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul is saying, now uh, you, you, you have been rescued from the penalty of sin, but prior to Jesus showing up, you were enslaved to sin. This is what uh, Brother McGee read for us earlier, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among, among whom we all once live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and word by what? Nature. 
children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have inherited this sin nature from Adam since birth. So what we have to even think about for a moment, if our nature is enslaved to sin, and our, 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 our nature is like the battery, it's like the compass for our will, for uh, what the Bible calls our heart, for, for what we do and where we go and how we think and how we function, our will, then, beloved, truly, truly, that, uh, uh, for, for us born into sin, we don't, necessar- we don't have a libertarian free will. We don't have a free will, really, to do whatever we want. Because if my nature has been enslaved by sin, my will will always want to do sinful things. By my nature, I will always want to be selfish. I will always want to be dirty. I will always want to do my own things. I will always want to be God and myself because my nature says that I am God. It's only when our nature is liberated by King Jesus, do we now become slaves to righteousness where we actually have a will that want to do right? We actually have a will who want to be helpful. Now, now, prior to being born again, can you do good things? Absolutely. Can unsaved people do nice things? Absolutely. But we just... Understand and recognize that that's God's common grace. That he would use anyone to do anything nice. So, beloved, when it comes to being faithful to God, it's more than just trying to work hard. It's more than just trying to get the strength just to do better. This is why Jesus says in John 3, in order for you to live a righteous life, in order for you to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You need a brand new nature. This inherited sin nature affects every aspect of our humanity. And this leads us to the second point. All are accountable to God because all are guilty. In verses 10 through 19, he lays out these, these are Old Testament verses. And what he's saying is he's, he's, he's showing this, he's giving this collection of verses to lay out that all of us are guilty. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Then he walks through the, the whole anatomy of, of the mouth. He goes to throat, lips, tongue, and all of that. And he says the throat is there open, is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And then he begins to talk about the body being used for violence. The, their feet are swift to shed blood and in their paths are ruin and misery and, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is saying, you Jews should already know this. I'm just reaching back into the Old Testament and I'm pulling from the Psalms and I'm, and I'm pulling from Isaiah and I'm just showing you that all of us are guilty. We're not only uh, uh, guilty of inherited sin, but we are guilty of actual sin. 
We see the scope of sin, the supremacy of sin, but here he's talking about that stream of sin, how sin just flows out of us because it is so ingrained in us. And he says that we behave this way, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're functioning out of our sin nature. It's like, it's like a sponge. If you wash the dishes and get sponge filled with water and soap, when you go to wring out the sponge, only that which was in it will come out. If I have a sink filled with clean water, soapy water, when I squeeze that sponge, what's going to come out? Soapy water. But if I have a sink filled of grease and garbage and leftovers, when I go to squeeze out that sponge, what's going to come out? Beloved, here's a question. What comes out of you when you're squeezed? What's coming out of you in the midst of this pandemic? What's coming out of you in the midst of racial injustice? What's coming out of you during this economic downturn? What's coming out of you because you have to help your children do, do NTI? What's coming out of you because you got to go back to the office? What's coming out of you because you've been in the same room for six, seven months now? What's coming out of you? The only thing that's coming out of you right now is that which was already in you. And our sin nature flares up and it rises up. We're all guilty. But from a young age, we're taught that people are basically good and there's just a few bad apples. The gospel is completely opposes that notion of humankind's inherent goodness. Some believe that when it's time for them to stand before God, he's just going to have a big scale. He's going to take all your good deeds and put it on one side. He's going to take all your bad deeds and put it on one side. And then he's going to measure out whether your good outweighs your bad. And if your good outweighs your bad, then he will let you into his heaven. But, beloved, that is not the gospel. That is not the truth of Scripture. The Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. All it takes is one. James tells us if you commit one sin, you have committed them all. Because one sin is enough to separate you from the, holy, the holiness and, and, and the righteousness of God. It only takes one. And if you still don't think you're a sinner, you can walk yourself to the Ten Commandments. You can start with one. Uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you, loved, have you ever loved anything, people, person, thing, money, more than you love God? Some of us guilty first thing in the morning because we love our phone before we love our smartphone. We, we pick up our phone and talk to our phone and before we talk to God. We can go to the, 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 the moral aspect of the Ten Commandments and honor your father and mother. Have you always been honoring to your mother and father? You should not commit murder. Well, I haven't killed nobody. Jesus says if you curse your brother out, 
You're guilty of murder. Are you guilty of adultery? I have not stepped outside of my marriage covenant. Jesus says if, if you even look upon a woman or a man in lust, then you've committed adultery. Have you ever accidentally stolen anything by accident? Have you, have you ever had a friend get a new car, a new outfit, and, 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 and you get, instead of being happy for them, you got angry saying, why can't I have that? Have you ever told a lie? Beloved, we all stand guilty. And if that wasn't enough, verse, tw- verse 20 just, verses 19 and 20 just puts it, puts it over the edge. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul is saying, even after all of that, we are, we are, uh, we are under the strength of sin because the law reveals our sinfulness. The, the law of God shows us how sinful we are. The law was never meant to save us by our own ability because no one could ever be that good all the time. Humanity is guilty because of inherited sin or original sin from Adam. Humanity is guilty because of actual sin, and humanity is guilty because of the sheer strength of sin. There's no way we can free ourselves from this guilt. For by works of the law, no human being is justified in the sight. Beloved, the law offers no hope for us. There is no hope. There is no hope. All are accountable because we're all under sin. All are accountable to God because we are guilty. But, but, God, I'm glad he always has the last and final say. Because all are accountable to God, all need Jesus. And, and we have no hope in ourselves. We're born sinners. Well, I have inherited sin from Adam. So I have the sin nature that causes me to, to live in sin. I, I am completely guilty before God, and the law will not help me. I feel like Paul, oh, 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 wretched man that I am. Who can help me? What do I look to? And, and then Jesus steps in and brings us the glorious truth of the gospel. Beloved, when I was thinking about the goodness of the gospel, I didn't even have to keep reading through Romans. I just, I just took a moment and thought back to the Old Testament and what God was already doing in Israel. And I began to think about Numbers, the the 21st chapter. And in Numbers, the 21st chapter, we see that the children of Israel, they're walking in the wilderness. And just like the children of Israel did, they began to complain against God. They're saying, God, well, why did you bring us in this wilderness? Why are you doing what you're doing? God, why did you bring this pandemic? God, why did you bring me this husband? God, why did you bring me this wife? God, why did you bring me these children? God, why you caused me to lose my job? They're complaining to God, even in the midst of him taking care of them. And the word tells us that God, uh, he heard their, their, their cries and he said, you know what? I'm going to show them uh, just who I am. And he sends fiery serpents in the midst of the, uh, of the nation. In the midst of all, of all of their camps, snakes show up. The, 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 the slithery fork-toothed serpent shows up and begins to bite people. And, and, and the text of scripture said, 
These are poisonous snakes. So as the snakes would bite them, the venom would be transferred from the serpent into their blood vessels. And all of a sudden, the venom would begin to uh, impact their, their capillaries and their hearts. And they would begin to go into shutdown because of the venom that was inside of them. And, and the people began to cry out because of the, the, the venom that was inside of them, causing them to die. And they cried out and they say, Moses, we need help because the serpents are overtaking us. And God began to speak to Moses. And God said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to fashion a bronze serpent. And I want you to put it on a stick. And I just want you to set it on the top of the mountain. I don't want people to have to, they, don't, they ain't got to come kiss the, the, the bronze serpent. They ain't got to come put money down in front of the bronze serpent. They don't even have to do a sacrifice to the bronze serpent. All they got to do is look up to the bronze serpent. And, and, and God told Moses, all they will have to do is look and live. And the text of Scripture says all those Israelites that, that, that look past a situation, that look past their circumstance, that look past to the infection of the venom in their veins, if they were able to look past all, the, all that and just look up to the bronze serpent, the Bible says, and they were healed. Beloved, I'm here just to remind us today. Uh, we, 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 we can look past our situation. We can need to look past our circumstance. Though the, the venom of sin is coursing through our veins, though we were born into sin, though the wages of sin is death, though we have this sin nature and there's nothing I can do about it because it's coursing through my veins, the Bible tells me that just like the Israelites looked up, I just need to look up. The Bible says when Jesus was hung high and when they stretched him wide, that when I look to the cross of Jesus Christ, the, the, the text of Scripture says, all I need to do is look and live. I don't got to I don't gotta die on an altar. I don't have to bring a sacrifice. I don't have to sing a special song. I ain't got to tap dance and do good for God. I don't got to do nothing but look and live. Hebrews 3.15 tells us, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's talking about the Israelites' rebellion. He said, don't harden your hearts. See, beloved, there are moments where God will soften your heart so that you can trust him. And if this is one of those moments, don't let it pass. Don't let it pass because there's no guarantee that that moment will come again. Because all have sinned against God. All are accountable to God. There will be no excuses. This is why we need to look to Jesus and live. We look to Jesus by confessing our sins and saying, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. Would you please come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you? If you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, you look to him and live by being obedient to what he has already given you to do. We know what we need to do. We merely need to obey. May we look and live today. Lord God, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the fact that you have the final say. And when they hung you high and stretched you wide, you redeemed humanity. For those who place their faith in you, who repent and turn towards you as Savior, you give new life. Father, I pray for the one who is struggling with this decision. May you draw them into your kingdom today. For those who are having a difficult time being obedient and believing you, I ask that you would revive and renew and refresh them right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.